This is Alyssa Olenek of Little List Fitness. And I'm Kate, otherwise known as Coach Carmichael. We are PhD students, endurance athletes who lift, outdoors enthusiasts, and entrepreneurs. We believe the narrative of the fitness and wellness industry is often far too extreme. So forget about the black and white messages that you've heard. On this podcast, we believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. Today, we are so excited to bring you a guest that you've probably actually never heard of, but after today, you will probably be really excited that we had him on to share his story. And so this week, we are bringing on one of Kate's friends, Caesar, here in the episode to break down some really awesome stories of just living a life in the messy middle. And so we're so excited to have you here. We want to remind you before the show, we get to the end, that if you are enjoying our podcast and you like this podcast today, be sure to to rate, review, download, share us our love, and we'll pick a reviewer of the week. And I'm going to pass this off now to Kate, who's going to introduce the man of the hour, Caesar. I met Caesar Perez in undergrad through my now fiance, Peter. And Caesar is the kind of person you want to be friends with. He is always radiated positive energy. He's hardworking, musically talented, caring, and charismatic. Caesar is a fitness enthusiast, graphic designer, and actor. You can catch him on your screen as Pablo, a lead character starring opposite of Daniel freaking Radcliffe, guys, in Beast of Verdon, and as Javier in the action thriller Blind Trust. He was on his way to star in several even bigger productions when, in 2018, Caesar's life was changed. A drunk driver and a big rig truck struck Caesar's car head-on. I'll leave the details for Caesar to share, but his story and his journey to recovery inspires insight into what is really important in life, what it means to be healthy, and how to, as Caesar puts it, take responsibility for where you are, where you want to be, and even when horrendous things happen that are outside of your control. So I think there's so much we can all learn from Caesar's perspective on life. I know that was long-winded, but Caesar, we are truly thrilled to have you on the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> no, thank you so much, guys, for having me on. You know, Kate mentioned it. She was like, hey, we're doing this podcast and told me what it was all about. And I was like, you know what? I'd be more than happy to be on it and just share a little bit about my story, you know, because I, I think it'll help a lot of people and it'll change lives. I'm in total agreement with you there. Yeah. Can I take a side note that I want you to pay attention? I don't, I'm not calling out. We've only had two female guests. And this isn't me saying this about them, but Caesar just boldly came on here and said, Hey, my story is pretty freaking awesome. It's going to change lives. So I want everyone to just take note of that because I applaud that kind of confidence, Caesar. I just met you a couple minutes ago, but that's, that's already, that's the show, everybody. Take that as you will. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <laughs> Amazing. So could you tell us a little bit about what you were doing for work and how you spent your free time in the years before the accident? Well, before the accident, I was doing a lot of um, graphic design and video producing for Cox Media Group, uh, which is based their headquarters here in Atlanta. And um, I was their video producer and I was doing a lot of big things with their uh, SEC network and also all their college sports. Um, But alongside of that, I was doing my acting stuff and I was starting in like four different big roles on on movies and commercials and a commercial that aired during the Super Bowl. Um, so that was all happening in 2017 going into 2018. And again, 2018 came around and just changed my life forever. But before all that, I just focused mostly on my designing, my video producing, my acting. And then again, I was a very, very into fitness. So I always worked out made sure I'd stayed in top notch just, you know, cause I, I like being athletic and just an all around 
type of person, you know, so. How did you get into to acting, Caesar? If you don't mind me asking, so you got if those of you listening here today, like this is me getting to know Caesar as well. Um, we kind of did that intentionally so that I can actually intuitively ask these questions. But so, how did you actually get into the whole acting gig? I mean, you were in some pretty big roles. I mean, I would assume it would take quite a bit to get there. And so, how did that evolve? It all started because um, I graduated from Georgia Southern, which is where I met Kate. Mm-hmm. Um, Southern, and, yeah, <laughs> true blue, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> I graduated as a multimedia communications major, and initially I had gone into uh, GSU with a music performance major, as a music performance major, and I just realized halfway through it, I was like, this isn't what I want to do, because I was already making, I was already playing at several weddings and doing a lot of money, like, playing on, on the side, so I was like, I don't really need a career to do it. So I was like, let me just go major into something I kind of just am pretty passionate about. And I consider myself a storyteller. So I was like, let's do that with visual audio production and everything. And so I majored as a multimedia major. And then after that, I don't remember around what time frame, but Georgia passed uh, a tax incentive for like movie productions and, and big stuff, big productions that we're filming here on the East Coast. So a lot of uh, Netflix shows, a lot of movies, a lot of. Uh, TV shows were coming out to the East Coast. And so it just opened a big opportunity for me. And I started, you know, contacting a bunch of directors, producers, casting directors, and just telling them, hey, I'll be uh, part of the the editing or production crew if you guys need any help, just to kind of get my name out there. And I did the same thing with casting directors. I was like, you know what, I'll be an extra or a background actor for any of these shows that were coming up. And uh, I got in real close contact with several of them and they kept me in touch with a lot of other productions that were coming in. And after a while, uh, one of the casting writers, he, he, he pulled me over and he's like, Hey, you, you could totally be on the, on the movie or in one of these shows. So you should actually audition for this role that I'm casting. He had been a extra casting director here in Georgia, but he got promoted or he moved up and he was now casting what they call lead roles which is you know, basically roles where people actually speak. They have lines in the movies and shows. And so he was like, hey, you know what? You should try, try out for this in audition. And he sent me the sides, which the sides is what they call um, like little tidbits of the actual script. And so he sent it to me and told me to go ahead and video record it and send it to him so he could show it to the directors and the producers. And it turned out being it was Daniel Radcliffe's movie. Uh, it was called uh, Beast of Burden, and I was pl- I was going to play Pablo, and I auditioned. I wasn't expecting anything out of it, to be honest. I was just like, you know what? Let me just do it, and let's see where it goes. And he called me like four weeks later. He's like, dude, you blew everybody out of the water. They love you. Uh, you're one of the first people that gets casted into a big production from the East Coast. So he's like... Let's go with it. And then afterwards, he's like, dude, you need an agent. So he got me in touch with my agent now. And things just skyrocketed afterwards. Like I got cast in the action thriller Blind Trust. And I got cast in uh, the other action thriller, which was 1517 in Paris, which Clint Eastwood directed. And it was just it was just going up from there, you know. So it was exciting. But I kind of worked my way there. We were so excited for you. I'm speaking now just as a friend because um, myself and Peter, it's kind of a joke. I have a signed headshot of Caesar. Oh, you still have it? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean I still have it? Why would I get rid of that, dude? 
you're going to be so famous one day. And I'm going to be like, when he forgets about us, you know, I'm going to have proof. I remember that headshot. I remember it. Yeah. Well, even, even better fun fact is that Caesar is going to officiate me and Peter's wedding. So he'll be in all of the, he'll be in all of the wedding shots and everything. So he can't, he can't deny it once he (laughs) gets gets into stardom and is no longer talking to the little people. So. So that's, that's, so you basically had that just fall into your lap kind of, did you act at all before anything like that? Or did you just kind of have that training in media and all like just your experience within that and just kind of show up? No, I, I, I had never acted before, before any yeah. of that. And, uh, but just being in several, cause before I even was on screen and stuff, like I had been on several productions, just like doing all the editing and I yeah. saw how actors did it and how they portrayed their character <laughs> through, you know, either sound or visuals and stuff and how they got into the zone. And so it just kind of, I picked it up. And then also like, I just always consider myself like a storyteller. So that's why I majored in multimedia. Cause I was like, I want to convey a story, whether it be through music, whether it be through uh, visuals or whether it be through anything like that's what you want to do with something. You got to convey a story. And so that was the whole thing about acting. Like that's why it kind of came naturally to me. Like I figured, you know what, this is a story we want to tell where this is a story we're trying to create. How can I make it better? How can I actually portray all the elements to the audience? So it kind of just worked its way in. So at this point in time um, in your life, obviously we're going to have pivot here into, you know, the, the real brink of this story, but hmm. other than, you know, randomly becoming an actor in some pretty big name movies and just showing up and conveying stories and all that stuff, what else did you do like in your free time? So you're, do- you're out of college at this point, right? So you're kind of finding your way in your, your adult life and you're acting and you're working. But other than that, like who was Caesar at this point in time? Um. I was a pretty organized person and pretty, uh, pretty goal oriented. Like I, I didn't party much. I didn't really go out much. Mm-hmm. It's honest. Like I always knew what I wanted to do. And so I was either preparing or studying for my side with my sides for an audition, or I was working late for, you know, for Cox and just trying to make sure that our, our sports season we were having was actually at the best level it could be. So I always, it was either that or I was working out or just playing music and writing songs. Um, It's just kind of like an emotional outlet for me, which is what the gym was and also music. Uh, So I never was an angry person or emotional or anything because if I ever felt like, if I ever got bad news or if I was depressed or emotional or whatever, I would spend hours at the gym and just let it all out. Either that or I would come home and just write a song or like, let's say I went through uh, a breakup or something, then I would write something about it. Like, you just let those emotions out, but through my music, you know, I wasn't hurting anybody. <laughs> so, yeah. Away. So, one of the things that'll probably, which I know a little bit about you from talking to Kate, that will probably resonate with a lot of our audience is the use of fitness, right? So, you were really into fitness and working out, not saying you aren't, but prior to, you know, all these big, you, you know, you and your major accident and everything leading up to that, you were really into fitness and you said you would spend hours in the gym and using it as like a mechanism. And so 
I think we all have our own unique relationships with fitness. I know Kate and me each do. Everyone that we coach and come in contact with, they all have these these relationships with the gym. And sometimes it's really healthy and sometimes it's not. And so at this point in time, did you have any what we like to call the black and white or like extreme polarizing views on health and fitness that maybe looking back now, you may not engage in the same way or find as sustainable or a little bit too extreme and that you've kind of like now live maybe more in that quote unquote, like we say messy middle, but what were your black and white extremes that you kind of followed during this time in your life? I didn't really have a black and white so much before, before my accident. Uh, I literally worked out because I enjoyed it. You know, like it wasn't like I have to go or, you know, I'm gonna get fat or I got to go lose my muscle gains. You know, it was like, I enjoyed my time being there and, the gym I went to, it was at Cox and everything, and not many people went to it. So it was just like a time to actually just hone in on myself and actually, you know, I, I enjoyed being uh, in solitude, like working out. Like it, it was fun. Mm-hmm. For me. And um, it was, I, I, I don't think I was in a black and white, like maybe with nutrition, I would maybe say like, I just, I didn't eat many fats. Like I wasn't a cheese person and I, like I just never went that way. Like I always found let's cut fats off my diet. And that's what I did for the most part of my time before my accident. Like I just cut fats out and just trying to keep going and work out. But when I say cut fats, like I cut everything out. Like I was like not even like good fats, like avocados or nuts or anything. Like I, I literally just cut out the fats and just focused on eating protein and just carbs. Cause I, I used up my carbs. I worked out a lot. So, um, I would say maybe that's the only thing I would change maybe like, or that the only thing that was black and white was the fact of me cutting out fats. And I didn't cut it all together. Cause sometimes on weekends I would go out with uh, <laughs> my friends to go eat, you know, and well, if I got a burger, it'd have some cheese in it, you know? So I don't think there was really a black and white for me before the accident, you know? Yeah. And I think we all can kind of relate to that, either trying to remove a single food group and then on the weekends, that rule that you make suddenly doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) And so, you know, you have this Monday through Friday mindset versus your weekend personality that maybe doesn't have the same dietary preferences and views (laughs) as you. Yeah, I think you have always like exemplified a really healthy approach to not not just fitness and health, but like you said, with music, I feel like you really had healthy coping mechanisms, whereas a lot of people might have fallen into, you know, maybe over drinking or doing some other types of activities that didn't really improve their lives or kind of were a hindrance to it, but they used it to, you know, numb any kind of frustration or emotion that they, you know, didn't want to brush up against. So can you share a little bit more about your relationship with music and I guess, What's your musical story? Like, when did you start learning instruments? Because you play a lot also. I don't think I've mentioned every instrument you play. So give us a little more background on that. Yeah. um, So I play guitar, piano, uh, string bass, classical string bass, and drums and trumpet. So those are the instruments I play. Uh, I guess when you say fluently, (laughs) like I speak English fluently. Um, But no, like I started playing music uh, at a young age. Like I want to say middle school and it was because of my mom uh because we immigrated from el salvador so i wasn't born in the states and 
my mom always was like, you know, you got to be, you got to get this great education. This is the reason we brought you here. So you're not going to party. You're not going to go out with friends or anything. And <laughs> literally that's how it was all throughout, yeah. all throughout high school. Like literally it was just like that. Um, she picked me up from class and go straight to either a French lesson, a classical guitar lesson, a string bass lesson, trumpet lesson, French lesson. So when when school ended for me in middle school and high school, like it was just starting. Like when when the bell rang, like I had to go to another class, private lesson, private tutors. So, and that's where all our money went, like literally in just lessons and classes. And um, but it helped me a lot because going into college, I got a scholarship for my string bass. Um, and on top of all the other scholarships I had, so I had I had a full paid tuition at George Southern because I got the 1906 scholarship for my academics. So I made sure to take hold of every opportunity that came my way. And thankfully, you know, my parents instilled good mentality in me and in my sister. So uh, that's what started the whole music thing for me and my family. Yeah. And you have a really tight knit family, which I think is important to who you are as a person and your story. Do you think that they kind of shielded you from what we call the black and white messages? Because I feel like a lot of people, and maybe this is related to family, maybe it's not, but you hear a bunch of messages growing up that you can be a certain way um, or, you know, you have to fit in health and fitness in a particular physique style or, um, you know, you have to be perfect in school or, you know, everyone has these different kind of pressures on them. Do you think having such a close-knit family kind of helped you navigate maybe more of the messy middle approach or do you think there were some extremes there too? That's interesting you bring that up because I hadn't thought about it like that, but it honestly had a huge impact on the fact of, I guess, why I lived my life in the messy middle, you know, like um, yeah. the fact that I really didn't lean towards one extreme or the other. It was because, you know, uh, my family, like they, they always were like, give it your best shot, you know, um, except when it came to grades, like when it came to grades, like, <laughs> it was like you got to get straight A's hundred percent, you know? Um, so that was the only thing that was the extreme. But aside from that, um, as we were growing up, like they were just like, we just want to see you give your full potential. And that's what it was with everything. Um, and if you failed, it's not because you suck, right? It's just because you didn't try, um, like not try hard enough, but, I guess I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think how to say it. No, but I just, my family just never really enforced one extreme or the other besides grades, like I said. Um, so yeah, they, they did help me uh, navigate through the messy middle part of life and kind of just stay in that medium and not go to any extreme. Yeah. All right. So I think now it's time to pivot to the accident. Um, could you share with us? what happened that night um, and all the injuries that resulted from the crash. I'm sure like no matter how many times you, you tell the story of your accident, there's always some pain in sharing. So we want you to know that we appreciate like you coming on here and, and sharing some of that hard stuff. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I think I've said it enough now that, um, or people know now that it, I can say it now and it's, it's kind of like, I, I kind of put a barrier now and um, I was going, it was January 12th. Uh, 2018 and I was going down to go see um, an ex-girlfriend and at Georgia Southern and I was living up here in Atlanta and I was going down I-16 and a drunk driver driving westbound on eastbound lanes uh, hit me head on and then 
uh, a big rig also illegally on the road hit me head on as well. And that was it. Um, I coded on the first responder several times, uh, which basically means I stopped breathing. So they had to resuscitate me. And then they couldn't airlift me. They were supposed to airlift me to Savannah, but because of the weather, uh, it couldn't land. Uh, the helicopter couldn't land. So I got uh, transferred to Navison Health in Macon where they did all the reconstruction surgeries and everything. So just to put it into perspective, like everything in my face broke. Um, my femur was protruding out of my left leg. Uh, I had a PCL uh, torn on my left leg. And then I had a brachial plexus injury on my right arm, which uh, I'm not sure most people know what it is. I didn't know what it was until afterwards. Uh, but so my right arm was paralyzed and it, it was paralyzed for over a year and a half. And, but the worst thing was literally everything was in my face, you know, and like I lost a lot of jawbone and then, um, they had to intubate me. So I had a trach tube and also a feeding tube because they had to wire me shut after they did the facial reconstruction. They had to wire me shut for several months and I couldn't eat. I couldn't breathe on my own. So, uh, from Navison, I got transferred to Shepherd Center in Atlanta where, they did their miracle and I was able to walk out of there at the end of it. So, but it, it was, it's been a long road. It's been a long journey. I'm not going to lie. So I, I'm assuming that upon the, the incident of the accident, you probably don't remember much other than you probably remember you were about to get hit and then you probably woke up in the hospital. Um, is there, well, did you remember much of what happened there or did you just wake up in the hospital? And if then, how did you feel waking up in that situation and, you know, your face is broken and your arm is paralyzed and you've just undergone a ton of surgery. Um, how, and even then, how long were you, I guess, under for that you weren't aware that you were go undergoing all these things? So when the accident happened, I remember up until the accident. So thankfully my memory is there from the, uh, from before the accident, after the accident, uh, or when the accident happened, I don't remember. I spoke to the first responders afterwards to thank them personally, because most of them are like, uh, they're volunteers. So I wanted to, you know, thank them personally, you know, for saving my life. And, uh, they were surprised. They were like, you're a miracle. Cause they, they told me firsthand, they were like, none of us expected you to make it that night. Like we literally were, we thought, we thought we were, you were going to die. And, um, they, cause they saw, they said that I was, I was conscious after the act, when the accident happened, that I was, uh, holding my face and just, fighting them off. But again, I don't remember anything. Right. Um, and then the reason I got sent to Shepherd center was because, uh, I had a massive brain injury, um, and they treat spinal cord injuries and brain injuries. And so my brain was hemorrhaging. Uh, the frontal lobe was the one that received the most of the impact and it was hemorrhaging for a while. And that's why I, for over a year and a half, I used to have to take Advil and Motrin, like, maybe five times or six times a day because I'd get these migraines during the day. Like they just wouldn't stop. And it was because the blood was still there and the, the body was still absorbing it. But I don't remember much of my stay at Shepherd or anything that happened at Macon. Uh, the only thing I remember was after my stenosis removal surgery, which stenosis is basically the scar tissue that was forming around the trach tube. Um, it wasn't letting me breathe. So they had to go in there and remove the scar tissue and that was the most painful thing 
I think I can't remember. Uh, like they had me on morphine for like a week and it was still so painful. Like I still remember it vividly, but after that, I remember um, a few weeks, probably before my discharge at Shepherd. And then after that, everything I remember. Thankfully, I remembered uh, all the stuff before the accident. So all my like my usernames, passwords, all the, all like <laughs> all the important stuff. All the little things. I'm sitting here thinking you mean like you remembered the details of like leading up to it and what happened. No, you're like I remember my login to Instagram. Yeah, and, yeah no. and my zip code. Yeah, I was freaking out because like my my sisters um, and my family never left my side when they when they first got there since day one, and uh, my sister spoke to me in English only. And my parents spoke to me in Spanish only. And it was something that they decided amongst themselves to do because they didn't know if I was going to remember uh, my Spanish, my English. And then Carolina, uh, my sister, she started speaking to me in French because I knew French, right? But um, so they didn't want me to lose any of that knowledge. And so thankfully, I have all my memory, I have all my functionality. So it's, it worked. <laughs> Yeah. And to give some more context, because I'm sure, uh, you know, there's a lot of listeners who don't understand what it's like to, to go through something like that, that all of these surgeries don't happen overnight. And it's not like, you know, once you walk out of the hospital that you're done. Um, so can you kind of lay out kind of a timeline for listeners of like how long this recovery is, is taking and, and all of the surgeries that come much after the accident? Yeah. Um, so my accident happened January 2018 and we're what now in 2020. Um, and I'm still not done with surgeries. Like I think my leg has healed fine. Like everything's going well and everything, but still after I left Shepherd center, which I left Shepherd like a few days after before my 25th birthday and they like, I thought I was done with everything, but again, I had a brain injury, so I couldn't really comprehend well. Right. And but I had so much surgeries and so many things that had to get done. Like I had a fistula in the roof of my mouth. So there was a hole in my jaw. So every time I ate or anytime I drank something, it would come out of my nose. And it was not only scary, but it was annoying because I, I would suffocate sometimes. And uh, my sister called it a party trick. But I was like, it's really not a party trick. <laughs> she and, would. Uh, the other thing was I lost so much weight. That's the thing. I lost like 40, no, like 35 pounds from my accident to when I was, I was discharged at Shepherd, And, um, so literally all my muscle gains were gone, <laughs> but, um, I had a feeding tube also when I left Shepherd, I had a feeding tube. So I had to gain about a pound a week, no, a pound per day. I don't remember. So but I think it, it was a pound per week so that they could uh, remove the feeding tube and, uh, that took a while. And then I also had to get more surgery. I had to get, the thing is therapy took the longest just cause I had to get physical therapy for my leg, physical therapy and occupational therapy for my arm. But then again, I had also just been wired shut for almost three months with my mouth and my jaw. So I had to get speech therapy. I couldn't talk for a while. Um, I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't really eat cause I had like two of my teeth were broken and the thing is like the nerves were like sticking out so anything i ate or anything i drank it would just pass through the nerve and it would just be the most agonizing pain so it's just been a long journey like I, you you'll you'll see you'll see <laughs> is there 
a period. So I'm sure there's a realization that, you know, you said you thanked all of the paramedics because, you know, you had a miracle survival, but there's like some gratitude there where like, you're so thankful you survived. And then I'm sure, you know, as your brain injury heals a little bit, as you, you know, continue in your recovery process, there's a moment that, you know, you probably realize this, that you had this long road ahead and you still have a ways to go. You know, is there anxiety, fear, sadness, anger, like a giant mix? Can you walk us through navigating all of that emotional experience that you had? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it wasn't anxiety or anything. It was just anger. It was just anger. And like I, like I mentioned before, like I've never been an angry person. I've never been an emotional person or anything, but I hadn't cried in probably like five years. Uh, that's how like emotionally stable I was before my accident. And then uh, after my accident, like I cried literally every day, like at night. Cause I would, I, I don't know how, but like nightmares of the, the accident would happen, even though I didn't remember it, like yeah. recreate it somehow. And so um, I would just wake up crying and, then on top of that, like I was just angry. It wasn't anxious. It wasn't me being sad or anything. It was just angry. Like the, you know, the long question about why, why did this happen? Why did this happen to me specifically? You know, like what have I ever done to anybody, you know, to deserve this? And that was, that's the biggest issue. And I think the biggest question you have to deal with after a traumatic event like that, and especially something that you weren't even looking for, you know, like you weren't searching for it and you mm-hmm. weren't doing anything to get that kind of repercussion. And so that was the biggest issue I had to deal with and just coming to accept the fact that it happened. There's nothing I can really do about it and just try to move on from it, you know? And I think that's the biggest, the biggest issue, um, not just with me, but with a lot of people just accepting what's happened. And uh, it, it took a long time. It took a long time. So since then, obviously this is a crazy life-changing event and you said you your arm was paralyzed for a year and a half and your face was broken and obviously now you're talking to us you're you know you appear as normal as any other person who hasn't been in a traumatic car accident but has that changed any of your approaches that you had prior to this occurring on your health fitness exercise routines I mean obviously you, you you've already stated how much it changed your emotional profile within yourself you went from like pretty steady to just an angry person yeah. um which I relate to deeply, being so angry all the time. Um, so welcome to the club, Caesar. <laughs> um, but how has it changed how you approach, like maybe you compare and contrast or the shifts you've seen in yourself and your own relationship? Obviously, your relationship with fitness before this was pretty steady and healthy, but nutrition wasn't, you know, maybe the, the healthiest relationship. But how does that change your viewpoint, you know, having that occur to your your body, which really changes everything, and then, you know, coming and rehabbing out of that and how you live now um, within those, you know, things? Yeah, I just you ask, because um, I, I think ideally the goal is to get to that messy middle, you know, where you're... yeah you're not really forcing one extreme or another, right? But, and that's my goal. I want to get, my whole goal since my accident has always been to, and I think it's been my family's goal and everyone around me who's been supporting me. It's been, get me back to where I was, you know, the day prior to the accident, like where I was, you know, going going high and I had so many opportunities and big things happening for me, but not just with career-wise, but also like physically, emotionally, like I was where I wanted to be. And so that's my goal to get there. But to get there, I I came to the realization that I had to 
really hone in on what I wanted and also kind of just dictate how I was going to live my day to day. Um, because there was a lot, it was going to be a long journey. So for my recovery since day one, it's been constant therapy and constant, you know, um, exercising and trying to get that mobility back, especially on my right arm. But I, I sat down with my sister one time because she's the one that told me, hey, you need to get a routine. Um, because if you, let's say today, you're like, oh, no, I'm not going to do my therapy. I'm not going to do my exercises, you know. It might not hurt you right now, but later on, you're going to be like, why didn't I do it then? You know, like, why did I postpone? And that's been my thing. Like, why postpone for tomorrow what I can do today? And so I've just been writing down every day. I just write down what I'm going to do the next day. And every day I don't miss my workout. I don't miss my, my therapy. I, I do it. I get it done early in the morning. And then again, I do it again in the evening just because I, I want to put all my effort to get to where I want to be. So if I'm not moving my arm, it's not because I don't want to or because I'm not putting forth that effort. It's just because the nerves, you know, they're not regenerated yet. But I've come so far since I started doing that. And I, I like I've seen the difference and my family's seen the difference. So um, I guess in that perspective, like I kind of had to stray away from the messy middle and go to an extreme of, you know, get up, do my workouts, like don't miss it. Don't miss a beat and just get it done so that I can eventually get to that point where I was and be in that messy middle where I can be like, I don't have to be in that extreme, you know. So, but for right now, I'm still kind of in that extreme. How was that mindset shift of like, obviously us in our day-to-day lives, you know, who engage in health and fitness activities and if it's a hobby or whatever. And like, we have very objective goals. Like I'm training for a race or I'm trying to hit this PR or I'm have this body composition goal or whatever it is that we're doing. And how is it shifting that like perspective and goal to being like going to like make some above average physical feat to just get back to your normal self? Like how was that mental shift and your approach? And obviously you alluded a little bit to the fact that it was you had to get a little bit extreme there right because you wanted your life back but how was that mentally shifting to refocus your relationship with exercise from just these maybe more selfish and trivial pursuits on the grand scheme of things to actually like regaining back your life right right right. and I think that's where where it differed a bit and it it was it wasn't so hard for me just because I've always known I'm a a goal-oriented person so like once I set my goal I know I'm gonna get there and take the steps necessary to get there, right? For some people, it might not be easy. But for uh, for me at the beginning, like I said, I had lost almost 35 pounds of weight and I had to gain one pound per week to get that feeding tube removed. And I, I was barely opening my mouth, so I couldn't really eat. I couldn't bite. Uh, so I had to eat it through syringe or through a straw. And I wasn't gaining enough weight, but... My dad and I, it was my dad's idea, but he went out and got a Chick-fil-A milkshake every day. And so I was eating a Chick-fil-A milkshake every day for like three or four weeks just to gain that weight. Like it wasn't a fact of, oh, I'm not going to look how I used to, you know, I'm not going to get that physique or anything. It was just like I needed to get that feeling to remove. So I had to make those necessary changes and kind of accept the fact that, hey, I got to gain this weight, you know, to actually live a healthy a healthy life and be able to get my life back. And I think initially uh, before the accident, yeah, I wanted to look like uh, a superhero, you know, I wanted that physique, but um, now looking back at pictures, I was like, I was already there. Like, I don't know why I always had that mentality of, Oh, I can do better. You know, 
which uh, I guess a lot of people do. And so after the accident, it kind of just changed my mentality and just kind of changed perspective. I just want to live a healthy life. I want to just be able to do everything, be functional and just be happy, you know? You guys are always asking me, Liz, what the heck do you do on your long runs? And Kate has recently converted me to Audible. With Audible, I'm able to combine my two favorite pastimes, running and learning. If that isn't the most Alyssa thing, I don't know what is. I know, right? So Audible has helped carry me many, many miles with audiobooks and podcasts. And the best thing about it is I'm able to download them directly to my phone and listen to them while I'm offline, running through the woods in the middle of nowhere with no self-service. And since I have a reading list approximately as high as I am tall, there's no other way I'd be able to consume so much with how busy I am. That's exactly why I love Audible. I've been a member for years now because I honestly cannot read enough books if I have to sit down to read them all. Audible has been a godsend because I can listen to audiobooks while I'm cooking, working out, or walking my pup Rocky, but my favorite way to use Audible is as I'm going to sleep, and you guys, I recently found out that Audible has bedtime stories narrated by none other than Nick Jonas and Tony Shalhoub, who you may know as the character Monk. Their voices are like so perfectly sultry and like they really guide you off to sleep. It's incredible. So every month, members get one credit to pick any title, no matter the cost, plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection, and access to daily news digest and guided meditation programs, dare I say, by no other than the Pete Diddy himself. If that doesn't scream littlest meditation, I don't know what does. The Audible app is available on all smartphones and tablets, and you can download titles to listen offline, anywhere, and anytime. You can start listening today with a 30-day trial. You get one title plus two Audible originals for free when you visit audibletrial.com slash messy middle. That's audibletrial.com slash M-E-S-S-Y-M-I-D-D-L-E. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements when dosed appropriately can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year. And after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge, because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MessyMiddle at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. 
M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. Yeah, I think that's really, really powerful, especially for a lot of our listeners where, you know, we have these narrow-minded views on fitness and nutrition. We're like, you know, saying you got your health back off Chick-fil-A milkshakes goes against everything that we believe in. But at the time, it just shows you how much like, you know, nuisance there is to everything and how in that moment in time, all you needed was to to ironically probably for you historically was to gain as much weight as you possibly could to get your health back. And the means of what you took that maybe goes against exactly what you were not doing before consuming any fat and you're just drinking sugar and fat for every meal, which maybe is not the most health promoting thing, but at the time it was calories and that like, you know, calories are in that moment, the most important thing that you needed to do and shows you that like what you consider healthy is so specific on the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. But also like really reframing that that idea of exercise and health, it's like almost being, you know, you, we probably are so negative against ourselves and view ourselves as this unideal perfect of what you want to be. And I'm sure we all do it. Um, I'm sure if any of us looks back at like a photo of ourselves historically, we can look and think, why did I think so negatively about myself right. at the time? Yeah. Like there was nothing wrong with me, but you had such a, like a a world shattering perspective of that to look back. And I think the fact that you really reframed and shift that mindset to just wanting health rather than maybe these other ideals that were kind of, I think a lot of us, especially in our like early twenties get really caught up in having when we get into health and fitness, you know what I mean? And like very bro gym life. Um, But you know, having something that really reshapes and shifts that in a really powerful way to like actually valuing your health for what it is, because you know, you almost, I mean, you quite literally almost had that taken away from you. And, you know, you're so fortunate to be here, but what fitness becomes almost like a freedom to your back to your lifestyle rather than like a means to some trivial end. Right. And that's how I see it. Like, it's like when I was able to run again, like I was like, people just, they're like, oh, I hate running or no, let's just walk or whatever. But like, for me, it wasn't just even the fact that, oh, I can run. It was just um, like, it wasn't the fact that, oh, I can run, you know, let's lose weight or anything. It was just more the fact of I got that freedom, you know, to do these activities and be able to do it. And that's really where that's where I want to be. Like, I want to be able to be able to do everything again and just have that mobility. Like small things you really don't take into perspective or you don't appreciate until, you know, they're gone. Like, you know, just raising your arm over your head, you know, stuff I can't do with my right arm. But it's uh, it's a process. No, I completely, I mean, I don't, I don't remember this at all, but when I was born, I spent three weeks in the NICU and I was like, I could have had like really serious brain damage and spinal cord damage. I was very sick and very, you know, I basically, my parents were like, she's either not going to make it or she's going to be severely mentally and physically impaired. And like, I always had that narrative my whole life where I, I knew that, you know what I mean? And that my life was such a gift to be able to do that. And I've always loved movement. And when I look back at like my childhood and reflect why, and like, it's because I don't, at a really young age, I was made aware that that was almost taken away from me. Yeah. And so movement for me has always been, so people are like, I hate running. I hate these things. Why do you love it? And I'm like, it, it it's freedom. It's life. It's joy. It's so much more than just a, a punishment or a means to an end or like a thing we drag ourselves in as a chore. But it actually is like when you break down running, it's like the most beautiful and natural free thing that we as humans can do. Yeah. And you know, we re- reassociate it with being such a punishment. But when you, you're aware that you almost lost that gift to do that, you realize like, wow, wait, this is a freaking blessing. Like my two yeah. legs can catch me and my lungs can, you know, breathe and deliver oxygen. You're like, this is amazing. Like this is the, this is such a gift. And it's really, I mean, that's a mindset I want to instill in all people and not have them have to have some really, really, you know, pivotal point in their life where that like it was almost taken away from them to have that. But to recognize that 
like fitness and exercise is so much more than what we think it to be and that it truly is. I mean, I said this in another podcast interview I just did recently is that, you know, movement and physical fitness, it's freedom. It truly is freedom to do so much more. Um, and it, it just, it is, it's a free, it's, it buys you freedom, it buys you life. It's like a, it's, a, it's just a complete gift. So I love that that's the, the, you know, mindset shit that you had with that. Unfortunately, it came from such a horrible accident, but to see that is like, I think really, really powerful to you really show what exercise actually can be and is. Yeah. And I think you were, a, I mean, you were always a fitness advocate. So I, I think it's, cool to see you like that, that that hasn't changed, you know, that that's always something that's going to be a part of who you are and what you share. Um, is there any new nuance to the message, something that you want people to take away when it comes to health and fitness? It takes a uh, uh, discipline, you know, like, and that's what I've told everybody, like, because there were days, I mean, several days, like where I was like, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to get up and go to therapy. Like what? I, like, if I'm going to try and I'm going to fail, you know, like I can't move my arm. I can't really even jump. I can't squat. And uh, so, but it's literally keeping up that discipline and just being consistent, you know? Um, and that's, that's how I've gotten to where I, where I am now, you know, like, and that's kind of like the story that I want to, uh, that I told everybody at Shepherd. Like when I was at Shepherd, um, I met a lot of other people that went through similar uh, situations or not the same accident. Right. But I'm saying like similar, situations where they were like either a spinal injury or a brain injury and I just uh explain to them you know that hey you got to do all this all these therapies because it's going to get you better and you just got to give it your all and going back to what Alyssa said that uh movement is freedom and so that's what I told them like I was just like this movement this therapy is really going to help you and it's helped me a lot like I don't know what I where I would be without therapy that I've received and um it's something that I've kept going and that's why, like, I've accepted what's happened. And again, I'm just putting forth the discipline and the, what do you call it? The, the hard work of going and working out and exercising and getting myself to where I want to be and where I was prior to the accident. What do you say to people that, like, ask you where your motivation is? Because I think, you know, what you just told me is that it's discipline. It's something you, you've got to do. You just do it. You know, what do you say to the people who are like, yeah, but I'm just, I can't get motivated. I guess that would be a good question for the Caesar before the accident. Um, Cause now <laughs> my, my motivation is obviously to get back to where I was, you know, and I did it once before, so I can do it again. And that's kind of the motivation I have. Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. like, if you guys, saw, you've seen pictures, you know, before of like me before the accident, I was like, I got myself there one time. Like, who's to say I can't do it again, right? And so that's my motivation now. But back then, it was just, I, I kind of had a good mentality. It was just, I want to be healthy. I want to be good. I want to be, um, I want to be athletic. I want to be able to do everything that I want to do. Like, I don't want to be in the middle of, and I think I, I spoke with Peter about this. Um, like, we would sometimes, and I don't know if it's a guy thing, but we would sometimes just, uh, metaphorically say, what if you're stuck in an elevator shaft and then it breaks down and everybody's depending <laughs> on you to shimmy up the elevator shaft, you know, can you do it? Can you do it? Will you be able to save those people? And so Listen, I was... The real question is, can Peter do that? I don't know anymore. I don't know. <laughs> oh, he's a big boy. <laughs> oh, big oh boy. yeah. But, no, uh, I- so that's the mentality we had and uh, or I had. And so 
I was just, that kept me motivated. I don't know. It it might sound stupid, but it kind of did. Like, I was just like, I want to be ready for anything. That's what it was. I want to be ready for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually, I remember hearing from you guys whenever you would see something in a movie where a guy's like hanging off a cliff or something, you'd be like, this is why we do (laughs) pull-ups. And it would be like this celebration of what fitness could do in like these crazy life situations. And, you know, you always got to be ready. I love that. Okay, yeah. so oh, I want to pivot. No, I, oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, the, uh, so the paramedics and everybody, all the doctors say that the reason why, or one of the reasons why I survived and none of my internal organs were damaged or anything, obviously all the damage was on my face, basically, but um, was the fact that I already had a bunch of muscle and like uh, it kind of helped guard all the internal organs and that's why i didn't have anything else like damaged internally which is i attributed a lot to just how physically active i was and in a way it did save my life so you know that's that's a new reason you know to add to your list of but you hear that time and time again when people get i mean not saying it exercise and fitness health saves you from everything always all the time but when we like look at so many things people who get really bad accidents or some really an illness, a cancer or whatever, like your, these bodies are more resilient when they're, they're fit and healthy and they have muscle and they're resistant to atrophy. I mean, I'm sure that even helped you when you were in the ICU and you were on a feeding tube, like having more mass and muscle, like something to lose, you know what I mean? Like probably actually like spared you a little bit in that process because you, you had something to give. Um, not that it was good that you had to gain it back, but you know what I mean? You have that extra like level of protection in your body. Pivoting here because Caesar, we are in a book club together, <laughs> and I need the world to know that you love reading as much as I do because I talk about it so much on this podcast. I feel like so I want to know how reading played a role in helping you navigate your recovery, um, and you know, share with the audience some of the books that shaped you and some of the biggest wisdom pieces that you took from them. So to be honest with you, I was never a huge reader before the accident, but then the accident happened and because I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my mouth, I couldn't move my arm. There was a lot of things I couldn't do. Like I was literally a couch potato for a few weeks. So I figured, you know what, let me captivate my attention with something positive. And actually my mom was the one that started it. She, uh, she motivated me. She's like, hey, you should read, you should occupy your time with something, you know, like, I know you can't really work out. You can't really uh, strengthen any muscle right now or work out at the gym, you know, to kind of get those gains you, you always like, but, um, you can at least the the muscle you can work. Yeah. You might as well, you know, put it to work now. And so she was talking about my brain, even though it was hemorrhaging at the time, I could still retain information. So, uh, I started reading and one of the first books I read was, uh, I think it was called You Can't Hurt Me. And uh, my friend Chris, he gave it to me because he was like, hey, um, I think this would help you not only find peace, but also kind of find that motivation to keep going. And despite everything that's happened to you. And he he was right. I I enjoyed that book thoroughly. And I read it from front to back. And I think you guys would really like it. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful motivational story. So it kind of got me into that mentality where I was like, Hey, I'm not going to put an excuse of not being where I want to be right now. Like I'm going to keep on going. And despite what's happened, um, you know, 
you can't hurt me. I'm going to keep going. And um, that kind of started the whole reading thing for me, just because I saw how positive it was uh, after I had read that book, how it changed me, you know, like it motivated me. So then um, you, uh, Kate, contacted me and told me about the book club. And <laughs> I, started, I started, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm down because I, I like reading. I enjoyed it. And if I can get something positive out of it, then that's even more power to me, you know? So I, I think the first book we read was Miracle Morning, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that resonated a lot with my, with my uh, personal experience just because it was about the same guy, not the same guy, but it was about a guy that also had been through a horrible car accident. And um, he kind of came out of it and also went through that whole re- recovery process, but also came out of it stronger than he he was before. So mm-hmm. it kind of motivated me to keep going and also kind of gave me a little bit more of things to do. Like there was, I started meditating, which is not something I usually did. Did it get to you? It's the miracle Kate, morning. Yeah. Kate, get to you. <laughs> did get to me. <laughs> but I started meditating and I started kind of like analyzing my life, you know, and also analyzing what has changed, what hasn't. And I think the part that surprised me was not so much what had changed because everything had changed in my life, right? But what hadn't changed. And I kind of looked into myself like while meditating and I saw that my personality hadn't changed. Like my... uh my, my mental capacity hadn't changed and also my determination hadn't changed. I was like, you know what, with these three things, I can get back to where I was and even more. So that kind of gave me that, that power and that kind of push to kind of just keep on going and keep pushing through and just be patient. I think that was a major key being patient because this was, this has been a three year long process, you know, and I don't know who would have gone through it and actually stuck it out, but it, it really takes a hard mental capacity, you know, to actually get through all the pain, the physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, because there's been spiritual pain and also uh, just, you know, emotional pain because I've any type of broken, you name it, I've been through it, you know, like I think I've had all that experiences. So, uh, but it, I, I guess it makes you stronger, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So thankfully. And I think that's a really good, um, just analogy for like, we talk about the messy middle in here, but sometimes there's times in life that you really have to lean into those more extremes. And I know a lot of like, I like David Goggins and I I take a lot from his message, but I know a lot of people will say like, oh, he's too extreme. It's unhealthy. It's like, it's, you know what I mean? Like it's an, it's a not healthy relationship with work and it's like that it's toxic workaholism. And like, that's the society that we live in. But sometimes like, I feel like, especially with like, goals that I've had, I've had to lean into that side. That's maybe not the most balanced as people like to say, or healthy, but that when you're facing something like what you're going through, you almost have to take that little bit of a harder mindset to it, to get, to get through it. Because some of those things that, you know, David Goggins, I never read the book, but I've listened to a ton of his interviews across his life. And like, sometimes some of those things, like, especially what you went through, like, there's no room for leaning into the softness and giving yourself some grace. Sometimes it's just, you have to lean into that, you know, you can't hurt me mentality and just doing whatever it takes to humanly get through what you need to get through. And I think there's room for that in that messy middle approach of like life is a spectrum. And sometimes you're going to have to, you know, sway to one side to get back to maybe more harmonious, harmonious, you know, reality someday. But I like, I like that, like you kind of leaned into that because I think sometimes, you know, people, they really bash that mindset. And if you're a, 
everyday to day person. Like I shouldn't wake up tomorrow ready to like, you know, go to war with my, with my (laughs) day to day life. But when you're actually fighting your own kind of really big battle, you almost have to, you have to lean into that and having that really, really hard mindset or the cookie jar or whatever he likes to call it, where you have to dig deep into like that part of you that it's really uncomfortable to get into in your day-to-day life. And it's easy to, for, to forget because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to do that, but you were kind of put in a position where you were, you know, you were forced to lean into that. So building on that, um, what would you say is your best piece of advice for people recovering from injuries or going through something really challenging or really hard or just with their own personal battle, whether it be a traumatic injury or something that's just equally traumatic in their own life that they have to really like mentally um, work through? And I love that you captured that you recognize that you were still you, you know what I mean? Like throughout yeah. that all. But what would you say is your best piece of advice for others when it comes to this? Um, go, well, rewind back to the, the whole thing about the messy middle. Uh, that you were talking about uh, with David Coggins and everything. I, I think, I think, yeah, I agree with you. He's a little bit too on the extreme side, you know, <laughs> and uh, ideally that's not where I want to be. Like once I get back to where I was, I want yeah. to be that messy middle. Right. But the whole thing about, I guess uh, if you read the book, you know, he, like, I guess everything he went through, like growing up and everything and just being racially discriminated and stuff like that. And also with like uh, the abuses from his father and stuff. Mm-hmm kind of like kind of made him into that person where he had to you know there was no room for softness you had to really go through the pain and actually go mm-hmm. out a harder person than you came in and that's kind of like where I'm at like that my position right now like that's kind of where my where life is right now for me like it's just like I, I gotta go through the pain like I know I haven't been through all the pain just yet I mean I have to get two more surgeries they gotta re-break my face and everything so uh it's not done for me and I've accepted it and I just got to push through it. And that's what it is. Like, there's no room for softness. I can't have that softness in me right now, like, until I get to that level where I was before. And then I can actually decide, hey, all right, let me just shy away from the extreme side. And let me just be into this this little uh, messy middle part where I can actually enjoy my life and actually enjoy who I am, you know. But I think the biggest advice I can give anybody going through something similar, I guess, or a traumatic impact. Uh, or a traumatic event um, similar to what I've been through or just anything in life. Like uh, I guess with acceptance, I think that's been the biggest issue. And I think that's been the biggest, uh, the biggest thing I've had to deal with this whole, these past three years, like just with recovery, just accepting what's happened. Um, Mm -hmm. Despite it being your fault or maybe not, maybe it wasn't your fault. You know, like it it wasn't my fault. You know, I got hit by a drunk driver and in the end, um, he's doing way better than I am. Like he never went got any of the injuries I did, you know? So it's like, is it fair? No, life is never fair. And, uh, it's what I tell everybody, like life is not fair, but it is beautiful. And you gotta I love that. You gotta live it, you know? So it's, it's not fair, but it's got the potential to be beautiful and you make it that way. So that's what I've, what I carry in my, in my mind and in my, in my heart. Like I just, I make sure that I make the life, or I create the life I want to live, you know? And so that's why I push myself and I keep going. And I was social distancing before it was even cool, you know? So I know we're in COVID <laughs> era, but um, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard for me because um, I was kind of like already in that mentality when all this thing happened. And so it's, it's hard to adapt, but you got to accept what's happened to you um, and just get yourself to where you want to be. And don't put any excuses like, I can say it wasn't my fault. I didn't deserve this. 
and everything, but it's not going to give me my arm back. It's not going to give me my ability to walk, run or anything. No, I got to put forth that effort. And so um, I just accept what's happened, but I also accept and take the responsibility of getting myself to where I want to be. And I think that's my biggest advice to anybody. Yeah, I think that's really valuable for any any situation as to, you know, maybe you can't control what happened, but you can control how you react or respond um, moving forward and creating the life that you want. And I think that's so beautiful to say, and it's really hard in practice. So like, what are what are those key elements that push you into that mindset of being able to say, okay, look, I've accepted it. I'm taking responsibility for, for my actions moving forward. How do you get to that place? Because I know it's really hard sometimes. It's definitely hard. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like I, I spent so many months just angry at life altogether, just wanting to burn and crash everything to the ground. And, um, you know, I, I went through some emotional emotional times and very depressing times. And I never was one to be depressed, but you know, you, you do get those dark moments in life. And I don't know where I'd be if my family hadn't been with me, if my friends hadn't been with me and they had helped me get through it and get through that dark time in life. And it's because of them that I found that motivation, you know, like I found that, that uh, motivation to keep going and to be determined and to see myself out of this black hole, you know, that was suctioning me in. And I do it because of them. And I told that to my family and my parents. I was like, you know what? There was a time where I decided that I'm not doing it for me anymore so much. Like I'm doing it because of all the love you guys have given me and all the sacrifice that I've seen from you guys just being around me and not, not leaving me from day one and just giving me all the support I needed. And so I'm like, they did it for me. So this is my turn. I got to give it for them. I got to do it for them and just keep on going. And that's where I get my, all my strength and my support, like just from my family. I love that. And your family is amazing and incredible. And you guys are all just so like, I warm and loving and caring. And I wish that everybody had a family like that because I'm, I'm sure I can only imagine how much help that brought you, you know, in those times. So I want to move on to, you know, where we've been through Caesar before the accident, during the accident, recovery. What is next on the horizon for Caesar? Well, what's next is uh, I'm getting my face rebroken and I'm getting everything just, I'm, I might be wired shut again. So you might not be hearing me talk a little bit, but um, so that's what's next. It should be happening soon and it should be, uh, I'm hoping my last surgery, but it's getting divided into two parts because uh, they they might have to cut up here and peel down the face to make sure everything's symmetrical again. So it's nothing nothing fun. But again, oh, that's the other thing. I don't feel much anymore. So I guess that's good. I don't feel much. And, like physical uh, or emotional? <laughs> a little bit of everything. Like I just don't feel that much anymore. Uh, and... Especially on my, on my right arm, I don't feel anything. Like, I can feel texture, yeah. but I don't feel anything. I don't have any pain receptors or anything. So, uh, I guess it's good and bad. But, <laughs> um, like, I can cut myself and burn myself and I don't feel anything. But uh, I got to be careful because I don't want any more damage. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, no, that's the next thing. Like, I, I'm happy and I'm glad that the last surgery should be happening soon um, in September. So, um, I should be getting done with everything and 
this is the funny thing. Like coming out of Shepherd, um, I wrote down on my dry erase board because uh, my mom was she was pushing me in my wheelchair and she asked me, you know, well, she was talking to me and telling me, hey, you know, this is going to be a long journey. It's going to be a long recovery. And somehow I wrote down that it was going to be I gave myself three years. And I don't know how, but it's literally in January, it'll be three years, but I'll be done with all my surgeries. I'll be done with everything. And I can, I do everything now, you know, like I, I am physically and myself again, I can drive, I can do everything. Like, so three years and I called it. (laughs) That's amazing. That's freaking awesome. It probably shows you something how powerful the mind is. I'm sure Kate has some logical rationale for why that works the way it does. A whole bunch of love and a whole bunch of fitness and luck and the universe working in magical ways. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Before we wrap up our show, is there anything left unsaid that you would like the people to know about your story? Mm. It's not done, but once I'm done, once I come out of this, uh, I'll have a lot more to share with you guys. I'm excited for what the future holds. I can't really go into detail, but there's a lot of things happening, uh, especially next year. So hopefully I'll come back with you guys and I'll let oh, you yeah, guys We'll know. share all the secrets all, then. All the little secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm actually not happy but of what's happened, obviously. But I'm saying, like, I've learned how to use my time wisely and despite everything that's happened, like I've actually gained a lot from it, you know, like just kind of being by myself and not by myself, but I'm because uh, my family's with me. Right. But I'm saying like, just kind of spending time with myself and really learning to love me and also learning to see how I actually operate and how my mind operates and just kind of like being more centered and just kind of like figuring out where I want to be in life and what steps to take to get there. So it's been, it's been real mind mind uh, opening incredible well i'm i'm so so glad that you were on we have one last thing a little game to play with you caesar before we sign off so this is this is what we call this or that so of course while we truly believe that life exists in the messy middle for the sake of fun and irony we like to close the show by forcing you to rapid fire choose between contrasting things So today's this or that items were specifically selected for you. I even ran them by Peter to double check that they would be hard for you. I'm hoping. (laughs) Okay. So there's going to be 10 rounds. Alyssa and I are going to alternate. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Selfie or tripod? Tripod. Coffee or tea? Coffee. I know I liked you, Caesar. (laughs) (laughs) Coffee. Bachata or salsa dancing? Uh, Bachata. I was really worried that I was going to have to say that word. (laughs) (laughs) But you're going to have me go first. And I was like, you. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Making movies or watching movies? Making movies. Chick-fil-A or Starbucks? Chick-fil-A. Are you a basic girl? I am basic. I am basic. (laughs) What's your favorite Chick-fil-A milkshake flavor? is Is it cookies and cream? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So Caesar and me are living on the same wavelength here. Um, <laughs> piano or guitar? Guitar. Adidas or Nike? Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> Reading or writing? Ooh, writing. Beach or pool? Beach. Offense or defense? Offense. 
Yeah, and that would be in what sport, Caesar? Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Alyssa, I'm going to let you lead us out. All right, guys. Well, if you today, if you felt inspired by Caesar's story, please do not forget to rate, review, subscribe, and download The Messy Middle. We'll pick a reviewer of the week each week over on our Instagram, The Messy Middle Podcast, to win a free Littlest Fitness product. So make sure you leave your IG handle in the review and or send us a screenshot over at The Messy Middle Podcast. We'll pick one person each week and I'll send you a copy of Endure, my nutrition guide, my training guide, or my at-home PDF, whatever you're choosing for free just for giving us some love over here on the podcast. And be sure to check out Caesar at Caesar Perez Fit on Instagram. Everything is linked down in the show notes. We even have some of his recommended readings and his IMDb page so you can go and watch his movies. Yeah. So Caesar, thank you for sharing all of it with us today. Can you help us sign up? Yeah. All right, you guys, we want you to live well. Demand better. And stay messy. <laughs> <laughs>